0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lantesta, and this is our first episode for September of 2018. Welcome, welcome to the last third of the year. On this week in uh, Disney history, the Morocco Pavilion opens in Epcot, and I believe 1986. Uh, this is unique in that it's uh, the government of Morocco as the sponsor, not a company. And the tile work is amazing. Jim, Morocco is one of my favorite pavilions in Epcot. Yours as well, I'm sure. Actually, do you remember Thunder in Paradise? Oh, the uh, Hulk Hogan magnum
1: opus? Yes, yes. Back when they actually made TV shows at Disney, they <laughs> went all over the place. And I, I wonder how the kingdom of Morocco felt about every time you know Hulk decided he was fighting terrorists, they somehow ended up in Morocco.
0: <laughs> and it was like... It it it's the only middle uh, Middle Eastern thing in, in Epcot, I guess. By the way, I said 1986. Laurel is reminding me it's 1984 when it opened. So uh, yeah, that's all right. The Epcot opened in, in 84, but you are correct. It didn't make it till two years later. Yeah, two years later. There's the two things I like about the or uh, well, the three things I like about the the Morocco Pavilion. This one is it's the most complex street layout of any pavilion in world showcase it, it, it feels like a mm-hmm. bazaar when you get back there there's little alleyways and streets and everything like that i think they've really captured sort of the the market feel of of morocco there the uh, the second thing is they've got an interesting museum on display if you're facing the pavilion it's immediately to your left i believe it's the arts and industry arts and science museum i believe you're correct yep and it's got some fascinating looks at moroccan life in there currently but my all-time favorite thing back to one of my all-time favorite places in all of Walt mm-hmm. Disney World is when you leave that little museum that little display and you go out into the courtyard the square courtyard with the open mm-hmm. roof do you remember do you know where that is yeah I know exactly one of the most peaceful about. and pretty places in all of Epcot right there is a little fountain that runs a couple of benches where you can just sit in the relative cool and watch the day go by I I think that if, if we ever had Jim a uh, a food gathering in Epcot, we should have it there because that is one of the nicest places uh, places in all of Walt Disney World.
1: Have you ever done the tea ceremony there? There's a tea
0: ceremony in Morocco?
1: Oh Yeah, if you go back to the restaurant.
0: Restaurant Marrakesh.
1: They do such a wonderful presentation with tea. I forget which tour I was on, but they took us back there. And again, this is like August. Oh, it's like Morocco. It's, you're there. You're there. <laughs> no, that's it. exactly like You're walking barefoot in the sun, all right? And so it's like, oh, we're going in for a tea ceremony, and it's like, oh, blistering hot tea on a blistering hot day. This will be perfect. And it turns out they had this wonderful Moroccan national who who just did this elaborate but authentic tea ceremony. It was wonderful to watch him. He handed this, this hot mint tea that totally counterintuitive. Was so ridiculously refreshing. I mean, we all came out of that place recharged, and then could continue our death march around, you know,
0: <laughs> the, the, the slog, the, the backside, the of rest food. of World Showcase. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to I'm going to Epcot later on today. I'm going to go try this and see what happens. Okay, cool. Do so again. Highly, highly recommend. It. All right. So now a tea service in Morocco. Good to know. I've learned something here, Jim. Speaking of food. I was at Disney Springs a couple days ago, and I ate at a couple of new places. You're familiar with the new Guy Fieri place called Chicken Guy? I've begun hearing about this from
1: friends. Explain to me, it's chicken, right? I mean, it's not chicken and crack.
0: (laughs) It's just chicken. And let me start by saying we parked at the Orange Garage at Disney Springs, so over by Planet Hollywood. I wasn't sure exactly where Chicken Guy was located relative to... Planet Hollywood, but Jim and I'm not lying here. I, honest to God's mm-hmm. truth, I got to the bottom of the escalator and I told Laurel, "We'll just follow the smell of grease until we find <laughs> it," <laughs> and that's how we found it. Not kidding at all. It's uh, oh. it is fragrant. I'll give it that. So it's on okay. the if you're walking towards Planet Hollywood, it's on the right hand side, and then it's on mm-hmm. the left side of that building. So veer to the right, then look left, and you'll see it. It is a tiny, tiny restaurant. Most of the line, in fact for chicken guy is outside that's how small this is i would say the entire restaurant is not the size of a medium sized airstream trailer rv it is it is small okay. so because it's so small the line is outside and that makes it look Really popular, even when there's only 10 people in line. This explains, because again, I, I was just hearing, oh my God, the line. So while I was getting in line, I got stopped by a few fans who, uh, who asked for pictures, mm-hmm. who loved the show while we were there. So, oh, so that was cool. nice. Mm-hmm. So I get in line, and, you know, they hand out the menu. And uh, again, there are a few things that are obvious here. One is, this is not high-end food. Everything here is coming mm-hmm. from a box of frozen chicken tenders. The fries mm-hmm. are frozen. The drink machine is a Coke freestyle machine and there's some iced tea and that's it. This is mm-hmm. a very basic place. They've got uh, mac and cheese on the side and a few other sizes. They've got combinations of things that they turn into sandwiches. But the big draw for Chicken mm-hmm. Guy is the, the the chicken sauces that come with it. So I counted al- almost two dozen sauces that were available on this day. And I think they break them down into three sort of flavor profiles. There's a sweet, there's a spicy, blanking on the third one now, it's hot, I guess. Um, so you can order one of each. And I got, so I got the chicken tenders. I got the fries. I got the mac and cheese as well. And my three sauces were a uh, sriracha, mayo, a bourbon, and then a um, ranchero, which was an odd flavor to get. But uh, so I ordered it. I sit down and it's, it is standard chicken tenders that you would get at almost any fast food place. Mm-hmm. I don't think the tenders are anything special. The fries are actually pretty good. They're a thicker fry. They fry up well they've got a little bit of a seasoned salt on them. They're all pretty good. Everything was cooked properly. Mac and cheese is not bad. It was a little cold when I when I got mine, but overall, not bad. Nice crust on the top, plenty of cheese with the mac and cheese. And the, the sauces were, were all very interesting. I will say of them, the bourbon barbecue sauce was my favorite. I had this uh, a ranchero one that was basically like chicken tenders with salsa. And that wasn't really what I was looking for that particular evening. So I didn't I didn't really like it. And then I had a sriracha mayo. I don't know why. I'm not a huge fan of Sriracha. Mm-hmm. But it was it was fine too. Overall, food quality good. All four of my things, including my drink, were like $17. True story. I was sitting next to some cast members. I told them I'm eating literally one of one tender, a few fries, and a bite of mac and cheese. Would you like the rest of the food? And they mm. said, "Yes, we're starving cast members. Of course we would." You've made a magical <laughs> moment today. And, and, and then, as I said on Twitter <laughs> earlier, it was like you have a million dreams all over again, where they cried and I cried, and it was all great. But uh, oh. it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and I realized after the fact. And, and I know I've said this I said this on Twitter too. But if there are any cast members that are listening and they ever see us in a uh, near our restaurant, I will we will happily buy them food and, and talk to them about it. Right? We'll we'll all share a meal together, and it'll be fun. So don't hesitate to stop us
1: let's be honest here len when you test drive a restaurant it's always that interesting moment where you walk up and it's like i'll have the left side of i love <laughs> 10 of everything in a diet coke but that's only when you're doing the test drive for the menu i mean it's just please understand that mr test is occasionally off the clock and it's just sort of can i have half of your cheese sandwich Len?" no this is lunch go away <laughs>
0: No, but I would. I mean, especially something like that where I haven't been to a place before or, you know, if you're mm-hmm. willing to to try something that I haven't eaten, let's, let's do it. Just add another opinion to the pile because you might actually bump into a cast member who has a real enthusiasm for Sriracha. It's true. It's true. So I left the chicken guy and immediately went over to Terralina, which is the new Italian place in Disney Springs. Mm-hmm. And for an appetizer, I ordered their chicken strips <laughs> just, literally just as an AB comparison. Len, Len, I know. And they, here's the thing, they were better. They were better than chicken um. guys. They're lightly breaded in sort of like a cornmeal mm-hmm. and served with uh, two different sauces. I think what was a cucumber yogurt based. And I don't know what the other one was, but it's sort of, uh, I think it was a Mayo sort of spice base, but very, very good. Fried chicken bits. There were these were like little chunks of chicken, not strips, but fried really well and done done up really well. I, in fact, I liked almost everything at Terralina quite a bit. Service was good. Food is nothing special. It's not high end Italian, but it's mm-hmm. comparable to what you would get at your favorite neighborhood Italian place. Certainly comparable to my favorite neighborhood Italian place, which, as I think I've said on the show before, if you're in anywhere near North Carolina, it's called Elizabeth's. It's a chain of rest, small chain chain of family owned restaurants in. Greensboro, North Carolina, that is my standard go to reference for Italian food. This place was just as good or better. I tried the chicken parm, I tried the eggplant parm, had some pasta, tried some meatballs, all of it was good. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Prices were reasonable. They take tables in Wonderland. I actually like this better than I like Marina and Enzo's, which also recently opened up. In Disney Springs, have you have you tried Marine Enzo's?
1: The very next trip, which I'm hoping is is in like two weeks. Are okay, you guys going to be down there then? Or
0: uh, two weeks, I will be on a cruise, actually going to
1: Quebec. That's right. Well, again, I th- I think there are rules, Len. We can't be in the yeah, same, no. at the same <laughs>
0: time. But you did give me an interesting research thing, which we'll talk about on a future uh, episode for that, that uh, Quebec will. thing. That yeah, but I think uh, I think mm-hmm. is, is is better, and I was surprised at that. I, I did not have. High expectations because remember this is the former Portobello, whatever the last name of it was, over in uh, in Disney Springs. So you know, anytime a restaurant closes and then reopens with the same concept, you gotta mm-hmm. wonder what's going on there. But I really like what they did uh, with the menu. It's it's back to basics again. Nothing spectacular. They're not trying to be something mm-hmm. they can't be. I thought it was good value. I would definitely go there and eat again. In fact, I was actually. Kind of full from my one chicken strip and fries from Chicken Guy, that I didn't actually finish my uh, my food at Terralina. I would definitely go back there and do it again. So that was uh, that was really good. If you're uh, if you guys are in the in neighborhood of Disney Springs, I definitely recommend checking out Carolina. Also, uh, a couple of uh, tips with Jim today is the first day of Food and Wine. Uh, actually, it's the preview mm-hmm. day for Food and Wine. Obviously, I'm getting ready to head out to Epcot for that. Laurel and I were discussing Food and Wine. On our uh, drive back to Orlando yesterday, went out and did some family stuff in Tennessee. And she had a couple of really interesting ideas. I want to run these ideas by you and our listeners. Are you ready? First one every country should have its own ice cream in different colors and flavors. You know how, like, we talked about this on a previous show where Disney's doing the Purple Wall Slushy and the Peter Pan Float, you know, so purple milkshakes and green uh, ice cream floats. What if they just did something with you know, very vibrant colors in every country? Not a bad idea. No, but think about
1: it, Len. How many people do drinking around the world? And But there were folks, I, I'm, I'm not a big drinker, you know. Yeah. That, but on the other hand, the notion of ice cream around the world, the signature flavor of each of the world. Showcase pavilions, especially for food and wine. Right,
0: and and but the thing with ice cream, Jim, you could always throw a shot of something alcoholic uh, on top of it, and it literally that was Laurel's first idea after I said it doesn't have the same <laughs> margins as alcohol. She's like, put the alcohol on top uh, of it.
1: So so here I here I am trying to suggest a benign you know, variation <laughs> on drinking around the world, and and, and now we have doubled down, and it, and you can you know, get hammered you know, while you're like, having like your Germany ice cream. Germany could be like a caramel
0: pretzel ice cream. Oh God! Right? Okay. I mean. Norway could be some sort of berry, whatever they have in, berries, whatever they mm-hmm. have in, you know, mm-hmm. in Norway. America could be apple pie flavored or cherry pie flavored. France mm-hmm. already has sort of the Grand Marnier, so they could do um, different things. Maybe something tea flavored in Great Britain. I, I definitely think either a salmon flavored or a cheddar cheese soup flavored ice cream in Canada would be moderately interesting. <laughs> Maybe not salmon, but... <laughs> But think about it. It's it's hundred degrees outside. Yep. Uh, ice cream, mm-hmm. a little bit of alcohol. Everyone gets cooled off. Something something to suggest for next year. I'm just
1: saying. You give them a passport. They get it stamped at the end. <laughs> After you've consumed
0: twelve different varieties of ice cream, yeah. your, your very own diabetes bracelet. And, and if you if you do the alcohol shots, there could be like little ads for Betty Ford in the back, and there no- we go. Novo Nordisk can did, uh, can sponsor the whole thing. I'm thinking there's tie-ins again. There Please make that check out, too. Mr. Tessa. <laughs> the other thing, and I think this is a really good idea, I legitimately think this is a good idea. Food and wine runs through four months of this year, right? So mm-hmm. it starts in late August, goes through September, goes through October, ends in middle of November, right? That's a really long time to mm-hmm. feature all of this food. In fact, it actually spans two seasons of the year. Why not break it up into Ooh. two different parts? Do like an August, oh. September, call it like, you know, summer's bounty or something like that. And do one mm-hmm. one set of menus and then switch mm-hmm. it up in October and do like, you know, false flavors or something like that. And just do another menu for October and November. Number one, for all of, all of the Disney completists out there, they'd have to go back twice mm-hmm. at least. Number two, you get to test out different things in the menu. I think this is a good idea.
1: Did Food & Wine get bumped out by a weekend or additional days
0: this year? I think it's, or... it's either as long or slightly longer than any other uh, time of, uh, it's ever been. I really stopped counting after four months. It was, uh, no, 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 no,
1: no, I agree.
0: I agree. But it just, it seems to me that
1: so many, I mean, for example, I don't know if you noticed that Halloween Horror Nights at Universal has is now up to 36 nights. In fact, they've got two Wednesdays in September that they're doing horror in. Because, of course, Wednesday is the premium night to get frightened. I think that's ingenious because, you know, that's a long time. I mean, mind you, it does get a little challenging for the folks who are prepping the menus for this thing. And when you decide to make that demarcation point between, say, the summer flavors and the fall harvest flavors. Yeah. But no, I think that's ingenious.
0: The thing with having the different menus is it allows you to do something lighter when it's hotter. Like, again, no one one wants cheddar cheese soup now. It was 118 with the heat index the other day. Mm. No one wants cheddar you know. cheese soup at 11 a.m. <laughs> to be honest, you could walk outside with your own handful of
1: gouda and make cheese <laughs> exactly. soup. <you>
0: know. <laughs> I, think, I think I had some Munster in the backpack, and now it is cheddar cheese soup. So we're done here. Yes, exactly. Okay, so <laughs> I think this is a good idea. So again, Disney, if you're listening, it's a it's a fantastic thing. All right, Jim, let's uh, let's take a quick commercial break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some news about Disney and Anaheim, and then we're going to talk about an upcoming closure in Disneyland. All right, folks, we'll be right back. And we're back. All right, James, news over the last week came out of Anaheim about a spat, if you will, between the Disney Corporation and the city of Anaheim regarding the construction of Disney's latest luxury hotel in Disneyland. Do you want to give us some background on this?
1: Yeah, Anaheim and Disney, when they were talking about building this Four Diamond Hotel, and Anaheim knew that there was a need, a want in the marketplace for a Four Diamond resort. So they agreed with Disney that they'd give them $267 million worth of subsidies if Disney would go forward with construction of this hotel. Mm -hmm. Now, the original 700-room hotel was going to be built on a parking lot on, on Disneyland Drive. The thing that Anaheim was happy about, it was going to create 1,500 jobs, and when it finally opened, there was going to be 1,000 permanent jobs. But here's the thing, Disney decides, because it wants this hotel to have monorail access, that it moves the hotel 1,500 feet into the center of downtown Disney, which forces the closure of Rainforest Cafe, ESPN Zone, the AMC Theater. And out of all the things that get closed here, the one I hear the most noise about, and it's like, oh my God, this is a national tragedy, is the closing of Earl of Sam. <laughs> I mean, I mean priorities, Jim. <laughs> From the Anaheim's point of view, it's like, now wait a minute. Instead of creating a thousand new jobs, you just took away four hundred and fifty jobs by moving it into the middle of downtown Disney. They lost a hundred and thirty thousand square feet of retail space. And so, as far as the mayor of Anaheim, I believe his name is uh, Tom Tate. Yep.
0: You know, this is you no, know, you Disney rescinded. On what they agreed upon. 1,500 feet is more than a quarter of a mile, right? Yeah. Not insignificant. Disney
1: recognized that they've got now a really adversarial relationship going with the mayor and the Anaheim City Council. Mm -hmm. And so Disney's all right. We'll tell you what. Let's forget about the subsidy. but The other agreement was that if the city of Anaheim puts off taxing admissions to the Disney theme parks for 45 years... Disney would agree to put 1.5 billion dollars pour that into the parks, okay? Because then it it's a get out of jail free if, for the 1.5 billion. Now, mind you, Disney has already poured at least that
0: much money into Anaheim. If you factor in Galaxy's Edge, but there's one other interesting part of this, right? So there's a there's a referendum coming up on the ballot in November. Oh God, yes, in Anaheim, and it says that if you're a company that's taken tax breaks from the city of Anaheim, then you have to mm. agree to uh, a certain minimum hourly rate for your employees, which I believe is, what, 18 an hour? Yeah. And here's the thing. If you guys have been following the
1: press lately, Disney has made a very big deal about how they're going to raise the
0: minimum wage for Disneyland employees to $15 an hour. In, in the overall scheme of things, it's Disney's property. If they wanted to move it 1,500 feet, they can move it 1,500 feet, right? And Anaheim is, mm-hmm. is free to, to do this. How much of this, though, is is Anaheim looking at this and saying, You agreed to these tax subsidies. We've given you tax subsidies in the past. If you want any more from us, you have to agree to the minimum wage. Is is this Anaheim trying to say, if you want these incentives, you have to play along by this referendum if it passes?
1: Off of Disney property, you know, in the immediate area of the Disneyland Resort, there are twenty thousand other hotel rooms, and you know that some of those are are giant chains, some of those are mom and pops. So I think at, at this point. Tate has recognized the fact that Disney is the eight billion pound gorilla in this market. And so they're going to do whatever the hell they want anyway. But, you know, in order to be responsible and responsive to the needs of the community, it's like, OK, it's time to pay attention to the people who are outside of the walled city. And in fact, I think that's the other thing. But, you know, the whole notion of putting this brand new Four Diamond Hotel in the middle of, of downtown Disney and and burying it that far down and, you know, sort of a, in a cluster with the Disneyland Hotel mm-hmm. and the Grand Californian. Just the whole notion of people going to walk out the door and go get straight on the monorail and, and go into the park anyway. They weren't going to
0: make it out to. Yeah, to Harbor or anything like South Harbor Drive or anything like that. They're not they're not walking down there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As far as he's concerned, if Disneyland is now postponed or canceled this hotel, it's no skin off his nose. There's 20,000 other hotel rooms out there, and yes, this still also means that Anaheim Needs more four diamond rooms. If the whole notion was, you know, to get this sort of resort in the inventory to compel bigger companies to come book conventions at the yeah. Anaheim Convention Center, which has just finished that huge expansion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you look at Anaheim's perspective, Disney, Disney, if Disney needs to build a hotel, they need to build a hotel anyway. They don't need a tax mm-hmm. incentive to do it. If the market says that they need a four star hotel, they need a four star hotel. Yeah. It's interesting to see the. Uh, the city take a little bit tougher stand with with you know with any company yeah. not just not just Disney but, uh, but we'll see how this one uh, plays out. We'll know by we'll know by November, right? With the uh, with the ballot measure, absolutely. And
1: to be fair here, in the Los Angeles Times today, they quote Tate is saying you know with Disney taking withdrawing these two agreements. You know, here's the mayor of Anaheim saying Disney did the right thing. These agreements have become toxic. I'm very pro business, but I'm also fiscally responsible with the people's money. Yeah. So. It's going to be interesting to see Disney's next move, but clock's ticking. Galaxy's Edge opens fourteen or no,
0: no, less than God, a year. We have uh, four, maybe nine months tops. And you have all
1: that work that had begun, and you have closed restaurants. it's yep. going to be interesting to see how this plays
0: out, Lynn. Yeah, it will definitely uh, keep us updated on that, Jim. Going on to uh, to the next topic that we have here. I note that in this week in 1998, Jim, one of the biggest tragedies in Walt Disney World history struck when Mr. Toad took his final ride on Mr. Toad's wild ride in Walt Disney World. I uh, was inconsolable. I was here for that week uh, when it happened. Extremely sad. It's one of the original internet mm-hmm. protests yeah, save toad. I- but uh, but Jim, something similar is coming up in Disney's California Adventure. It's the closing of a bug's land, right? Yeah, and I don't assume we're
1: gonna get the same level of security. I mean, do you remember the stories about when to the last day the Toad was closing, that in every room of Toad they actually had a security person standing in the shadows? Disney had never dealt with any like this before. Oh, yeah. They were concerned about people getting off the cars and chaining themselves to things. I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen. Had I known, had I known that that's what they prepared. <laughs> that's right. I mean, with a Bug's Land, it never I know. I know. I know, I know
0: a, a couple of people out there that uh, would definitely chain themselves to a Heimlich's Choo-choo
1: train? Well, there's that. But again, I think that's more because they live Heimlich, not the fact that, that how long is that ride? Maybe two minutes? Yeah. You know, I am chewing and going into the back and now I'm in the front again. Get out. Not a particularly <laughs> lengthy attraction. It's true, it's true. The real history of Bugs Land at DCA has to deal with the fact that when that park opened up in February of two thousand one it was lacking. It was wanting. And Disney knew this right off the bat. And then when you factor in the one-two punch of it doesn't perform the way it's supposed to during the summer of 2001 and then here comes the fall of 2001 and we have 9-11 happen and suddenly the world can't fly to Anaheim and attendance, which was bad, tanked completely. By October 5th of 2001, there's construction equipment out in the Timon parking lot at DCA. Mm -hmm. They haven't even announced the project yet, but they're like, okay, we need a brand new land. So by December of 2001, they're they're scraping off the asphalt. There's this wonderful piece of footage, you can find it on YouTube, of John Lasseter in a backhoe. (laughs) Look at me, I'm tearing up asphalt! Because this was going to be the first... Pixar-themed land. Now, we'd already had Pixar attractions. Mm-hmm. April of 1998, we had a Tough to Be a Bug opening day attraction for a Animal Kingdom. Yep. And that November, we had Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger Spin, open to the kingdom. Do you realize how quick the change-out there was, Len? They take Flight, the Dream Flight replacement closed in January. By November 3rd of that same year, Buzz Lightyear, a Space Ranger Spin, was not only... Officially open. I mean, it had completed. You know, it, it's it's soft opening, test run, that sort of thing. So, they they threw that thing.
0: That's in. amazing. Well, they used the same ride system. Yep. Because the uh, the last tunnel that you go through in uh, Buzz Lightyear is still the same as before. So they didn't have to install a new ride mechanism. They just had to install the gameplay, right?
1: Yeah. In fact,
0: they're doing the exact same thing right now at Hong Kong. The Buzz Lightyear attraction
1: Astro Blasters that opened with that park has closed. It's been gutted, but again, ride system left in place. For the Ant-Man and the Wasp ride, now we'll open spring of 2019 at that park. But the same exact game plan, only instead of pushing a Pixar property, it's pushing a Marvel property. Hmm. But And again, with the whole DCA thing of, of recycling ideas and that sort of thing, of course, this park opened with its own tough-to-be-a-bug attraction. When, you know, they were staring down the barrel that this park had so little kid appeal that they had to do something. In fact, Len, very shortly, you and I are going to be doing some shows about the Disney parades. And how many people remember Eureka? The very, very California-themed parade that used to run through DCA? Nope. Well, this is the thing. It didn't have a Disney character in it. Really? Yeah. Ran for the first two summers that the park was open.
0: So it was a celebration of uh, California? Yeah, and each of
1: the floats was... If you remember... The uh Golden Dream show you had you introduced to Calafia, the sort of the goddess of California, in that show was sort of uh, was played by this, Whoopi Goldberg.
0: It sounds like you're pitching a Cheech and Chong
1: uh, <laughs> sequel here. <I>, Serious? <laughs> they showed like Whoopi Goldberg showing up at Sutter's Creek. that's it's like, hey, what's that in the water there? Or whispering to Louis B. Mayer when he was making The Wizard of Oz. It's you know, well, should she Dorothy wear silver slippers? And Whoopi literally walks by, and you know, it's like Ruby would be better. <laughs> but in the Golden Dreams Parade, each of the floats was a different giant woman who was playing a different aspect of the history of California. For the summer of 2003, recognizing the fact that the number one complaint about this park is there just wasn't enough Disney in it, they did tests and rehearsals for that version of the parade which kept the giant women floats but incorporated Disney characters. I'm mean, going you know, for example, I want to say that the surf culture floats, mm-hmm. they incorporated Stitch riding a surfboard. I want to say for the urban one, they had Mickey and he would be a hip hop dancer. They recognized off, right off the bat they needed things to make this thing kid friendly. And in fact, I guess out of all the Pixar properties, they picked the one that to this day, I think. The only film that's performed less well in theaters was Dinosaur. Oh, really? That bad? Yeah. I mean, a Bug's Life, I mean, it was a relatively low earner for them. I mean, it got 162 million ticket sales domestic, 363 million worldwide. Face it, the original Toy Story outgrossed that by 10 million worldwide. The, the sequel that came out in November of 99, it's a half a billion worldwide and just kept chugging. Finally, February of 2002, Cynthia Harris, president of Disneyland, announces park's going to get two brand-new additions. The first will be a Bug's Land featuring Flix Fun Fair, which will open in, in the fall of 2002. For the young and the young at heart, and for those who prefer to have their hearts attacked, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror will be opening in May of 2004 in that park. And now suddenly, basically, this giant chunk of Hollywood Backlot becomes a construction site as they rush to get a Bug's Land open. This is the first time that Pixar got the chance to make a land. They did a lot of consulting. Mm -hmm. As far as lands go, it's relatively small. It's only two acres. Oh, it's
0: tiny, yeah. I've had had yards bigger than this land.
1: It's four basically off-the-shelf ride systems that are then retrofitted with Pixar-based event, I mean, for example, Francis's Ladybug Boogie is basically the teacups. It's the mad tea party. Tuck and rolls, drive them buggies. That's bumper cars. I mean, they just go out and buy some bumper cars but retrofit them with the pill bug tuck and rolls uh, down the outside. Now, mind you, again, because it's Disney and the lawyers intervene, it is the world's slowest yes. bumper cars. You could die of old age before you get whiplash <laughs> on this thing. Um, Heimlich's choo-choo train, it's a favorite of mine because they actually did get Joe Ramph to voice the narration as Heimlich rolls around and you get to smell the piped-in you know, watermelon and the vanilla cookies. Do you remember the first time you rode that and like, okay, where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, well,
0: it's going nowhere. I remember it, uh, you know, it going up and back. I remember as I was writing it thinking, well, surely there's more to the track than you can see just from standing mm-hmm. outside and watching and it turns out there's not <laughs> no, and no, there that was wrong
1: not. yeah and we have a uh, princess's dot puddle park i mean it is a you know an area that's it's aimed at small kids with the hope that that would then compel people to give dca a try and that was the other thing they were having trouble persuading southern californians to come in and try this park as opposed to going across the street to Disneyland. So the one piece of this park that will, in fact, survive is the Flix Flyers that's actually being taken out, carried over to Pixar Pier and being repurposed for Inside Out's emotional whirlwind, which
0: I still love the original name of that, the mood swings. But
1: <laughs> evidently, that that was perceived as not all that sensitive. Uh,
0: still, still good. I mean, there's there's still a t-shirt potential there.
1: Mm-hmm. But what's kind of interesting is that when she was asked about this, Cynthia Harris, why the decision for that California Adventures first big expansion be geared toward youngsters? And it's like it's what the guests asked for from. Day one, and we went out and polled our guests about what additional things they wanted in California, and what they told us is they wanted more Disney, and they wanted more things for their little ones to do. All right. So the notion is, if you look across the way, you know, Disneyland's got a Toontown, Disneyland's got a Fantasyland, and this park just doesn't have anything like that. Right. So... Here we are. We're going to put this Kitty land in. And now to jump ahead to 2018, Disney, you know, at least as it comes to the Disneyland Resort. They're not worried about Fantasyland and Toontown anymore. They're worried about Galaxy's Edge and how that's going to be this enormous draw. So the whole notion is we now have to reimagine DCA in a way that will make it that much more appealing to folks. Who won't be able to get into Disneyland? Right, when it'll it- take some of the
0: pressure off of Disneyland too. So, is the, is the the goal here? Is uh, Marvel Land? Is that? Yeah. In
1: fact, I keep telling folks that you came across that amazing patent for the pendulum uh, attraction. Right. You know, because th- if you remember the the concept art that was put out. Uh, announcing how Paris was going to get a Marvel Land and Hong Kong was going to get a Marvel Land. And hey, look at DCA is getting a Marvel Land. Yep. And in the California art front and center, here's Spider Man hanging upside down because that's what's being built on top of Bugs Land. Flick is giving way to Spidey. This is going to cozy right up against what we just saw with Mission Breakout with Guardians. If you count Guardians, and Spidey next. All told at full build-out, there will be five high-intensity, very authentic, can't-miss-attractions that will be showing up as part of the Marvel land here. And in fact, if you feel bad about not getting to do Ant-Man and the Wasp at, at Hong Kong, don't feel too bad. It's it, That's also supposedly coming to Anaheim very, very soon. Oh, really? Yep. That's one of the five that I've been told. And The other two are in play. I I think one of them, I don't know what you've been hearing about the Tron coaster construction. I guess that's been somewhat challenging because of where they decided to put it. Oh, you
0: mean in in the Magic Kingdom?
1: Yeah. This actually sort of goes out, you know, it goes beyond the railroad tracks and then sort of slides kind of in the perimeter road direction. This is what happens when you chase off all of your old timers and replace them with contract employees. They've begun, I guess, putting in the footings or trying to put in the footings and... They're just now realizing there's a reason they put the retention pond where they put the retention <laughs> pond. Maybe, you know, when they were serving, like, oh, don't build anything over there, it won't support any weight. So, yeah, construction surprise for the nice folks at Disney World. But
0: When I uh, when I head over the Magic Kingdom tomorrow, we'll, uh, we'll go take a look and see what's going on, if I can uh, see anything over there. That will be great, but
1: have fun today at Food & Wine. Seriously, if D- Disney ever grabs that...
0: Gelato around the world idea. know, Laurel definitely deserves the chance. (laughs) I think so too. All right, folks. You've been listening to the uh, Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Don't forget we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher or write in Sriracha Peanut Sauce, Inc. on top of a piece of Wagyu beef. Postmark to Jim your comments and suggestions for the show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.